The following program, Pilgrim's Progress, is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Do you have a fixed determination in your heart to get right with God and with your fellow man? Does your heart seek nothing, nothing at all except the smile of God? Is your heart content if only you could have the smile of God on your life? We've come to a point in history where many different kinds of things pull at us. And in this modern age, we sometimes forget what the old-timers learned in their walk with Jesus Christ. I've been sharing with you a book entitled Remarkable Miracles by G.C. Bevington, Guy Bevington. He wrote it around the turn of the century, and he ministered in the early 19th century, in Ohio, Tennessee, he was a holiness evangelist, a very simple man, not even an educated man, but one who sought after God with all of his heart. I'd like to read for you a story today. I have a purpose in sharing it with you, and the purpose is to open a window of understanding that you might know the walk with Jesus of a man at the turn of the century. I'm sure if your response is anything like mine, you will quickly see the shallowness of the modern-day life in Christ. We've been called to a much deeper place with him, a place where we can touch the throne of God, a place where prayer means something, where there is integrity in the walk. Now, I was speaking yesterday about this question of being saved by grace, by grace alone and by faith alone. And I said, No, we're not saved by faith alone and grace alone. And yes, we are saved by faith alone and grace alone. It depends on what meaning you apply to those words of grace and faith. If you apply to grace the meaning that the soft, cuddly blanket of God's love of Jesus Christ covers over your life, you agree to accept that wonderful gift of grace, and now under the blanket of grace you continue to walk in rebellion and sin, I said yesterday, no, you are not saved. That is not saving grace. According to the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul says that the grace that saves is the grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And likewise with faith. 
It has to be a real living faith where we are crucified and we are totally committed to Jesus Christ. Faith that is merely a mental assent, that is not saving faith. Faith that simply says, yes, I believe in Jesus and and I will receive the gift of his grace to me. And then you continue walking as a pagan, but now with a religious spirit overlaying it? No, you're not saved. And yesterday I pleaded with those of you who wanted to turn aside from your sin to call. The reality is we have to turn away from our sin. And we don't have the strength or the power to turn away from our sin without the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's that blood that gives us the strength and the power. Some of you have tried in your own strength. You've gone to the seminars and the workshops. You've attended church. You've paid your tithe and offerings, but you still know in your heart you're a wicked man or a wicked woman. Well, I want to share this story with you to give you a perspective on what it might mean for you to have a real living faith and to actually walk this pilgrim's road, this this way that Jesus spoke about. Literally, the word means road. And it is a journey, a pilgrimage, as we leave behind the city of destruction and we make our way toward the celestial city. That is literally a journey that we've been called to take. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I just want to report quickly, at our meeting on Tuesday evening, we invited the Holy Spirit to come. We prayed together for about an hour. And then we began to praise and worship the Lord, and then we opened it up, and we talked with one another in great honesty about the journey that we're making on this road and what progress we see in our lives. We were held accountable. We spoke honestly, and the presence of the Holy Spirit came and he instructed us regarding the things of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but what I want in church is not a show. I don't want comforting words that will allow me to remain in my sin. Instead, I want the convicting work of the Holy Spirit to come. I want the Holy Spirit to come and reveal any sin in my heart or life that the blood of Jesus could wash it away and I could be pure before him and walk clean day by day, awakening in the morning with the praise of Jesus on my lips, knowing that when I go to bed at night, I've walked in the will of the Lord Jesus and not in the flesh. I want to walk that way all the time. And we had a glorious time sharing together this journey in Jesus, and I'm sorry if you missed it. It was a precious time. 
will also be meeting this Sunday. We meet at 12.30 p.m. at the All Saints Anglican Church. If you're hungry for Jesus and you're tired of a of a dog and pony show, you're tired of the cotton candy, you want something real that you can sink your teeth in, not emotional, we don't shout and scream and spit and holler. But rather, we want the Holy Spirit for real. We don't want a religious spirit. We want the Holy Spirit. If that's also your cry and you're not making the kind of progress you'd like to make down that road toward heaven and you need to get a fresh start, then come and join together with us this Sunday at the National Prayer Chapel. You can find us at the All Saints Anglican Church on Gideon Drive, right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I invite you to come. If there's a hunger in your heart for something much deeper with Jesus, then come and you'll find Jesus when you, when you seek him with all your heart. You're also welcome to go to our webpage. Past broadcasts are there, podcasts, videos, written material, testimonies. If today you need to be encouraged, go to that webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And you'll find those resources free of charge. We've been given freely, and now we give back freely. Well, let's turn now to this story that I'd like to share with you of of Guy Bevington. I want you to see the way this man walks and compare it with the way you walk. It begins with an Ironton mission. He says, we had a beautiful baby organ, but there was rarely anyone who would play it on the street. See, they would take the organ out on the street, and it was a pump organ, and they would have someone play that pump organ, and they would sing, and that would gather a group, and then they'd begin to preach. I've done this many times. Down in Georgetown, I started my ministry street preaching downtown in Georgetown until the police would come and they would tell us to move on and we'd move down the block and we'd start all over again. He writes, once a, a, a nice-looking man came up to me and he said, Brother, if you can get someone to pump the organ, I'll play for you every night and start each line of the songs. I don't have enough strength to pump the organ myself because I have tuberculosis. Well, I said, I think I can get pumpers and good ones. So I did, and he played for several weeks. One day, with a sad expression, he came and told me, I'm getting no better here in this climate. I was so much in hopes it would prove helpful to me. His home was in the south, and he had decided to return there. He was gone in a few weeks. The next turn in affairs came when it appeared I was to go to Cleveland and open another mission. 
Well, I fought that hard. I was very attached to those dear, poor children at Ironton. A labor of love. So I gave little attention to this Cleveland impression at first. But somehow it kept coming up nearly every time I prayed until it overwhelmed nearly all the petitions I sent up. Let me stop just a moment. You will discover, as I share with you this story and further stories, that Brother Bevington was spoken to by the Holy Spirit often with strong impressions. He would not act on impressions because he recognized that nine out of ten times those impressions were coming from his own heart. And so he would ignore them and he would continue to pray. Now, what happens when I pray is the same thing that I've discovered happened in Bevington's life. When I pray, if there is anything that the Lord is concerned about in my character, that thing will immediately come to the forefront and must be dealt with before I can go further in my prayer regarding whatever matter of ministry the Lord has called me to pray about. And so I've become very conscious of what my impressions are. I've become very conscious of what the Holy Spirit is calling me to deal with. When I came on this radio broadcast, the same thing happened to me. Every night as I would go to the prayer closet, I would have a strong impression that the Lord was saying, go back on the radio. Now, I'll be honest with you. I did not want to come back on the radio. I did not want to come back for several reasons. One, the last time I was on radio, I saw very little response from people. I saw very little response financially, and it was a great burden financially to carry. And I did not want to come back to this radio station and begin all over with a radio broadcast that would cause me to carry that exceptionally heavy burden constantly of the finances for this broadcast. I also felt it would be quite hopeless to come back that people would not respond to the strong message that I've been told I must proclaim. Now, there was a time in my life when I was very pleasing, and I would not say strong things, lest I offend someone in the church. But part of what the Lord said to me about 20 years ago is, I'm going to make you into a threshing sledge, and I'm going to give you new and sharp teeth. Well, the Lord took me through many years of very painful discipline before he finally was able to give me sharp teeth. And so I recognized that coming back to radio, I was going to come back with sharp teeth. I was going to call sin by its name. I knew I would have to call you as you listen to this radio broadcast to repent 
and get serious and follow after Jesus. And I felt that quite hopeless. And so I did not want to come back on the radio. But finally, what happened is every time I went to pray, the impression grew stronger until I was unable to pray about anything until I said, yes, I will go back on the radio. As soon as I said, yes, I will go back, and it doesn't matter if anyone responds, and it doesn't matter if there's a heavy financial burden that I must carry, I am willing, and I will do what you want me to do, Lord. Well, as soon as I did that, I had peace in my heart, and then I began to pray about WAVA, and I began to pray that the Lord would impress the leadership to open a time slot and make it possible for me to come back on the air as the Lord had directed. And I knew as I prayed about that, that he would cause that to take place. And very quickly, the Lord moved in this, and immediately the door opened, and I came back with the broadcast, Pilgrim's Progress. That was what the Lord told me to do, to read the story of Pilgrim's Progress. And then he told me I was to read the story of Reese Howells, the intercessor, and then he told me that I was to read Remarkable Miracles by Guy Bevington. I knew when I went on the first day that would be what I was told I must do, and so I have faithfully done each of those steps. Now, I have no idea what he's going to do when I reach the conclusion of this book by Guy Bevington. Now, I'm praying that by the time I reach it, you will be sufficiently moved and stirred in your heart that the Lord God of heaven will begin to bring revival to Washington, D.C. I am likewise praying that he will open national radio. I recognize that to open national radio will require at least $1 million, and I have nothing. I have two cents to rub together. But that's how the Lord has led me. I was able yesterday to bring the check and pay for the month of November for this broadcast. Now, I start a new month. I can't even think about $1 million for national radio, but as I go to my prayer closet and the Lord causes me to look at that, then I have to allow the Lord to do what he would like to do. You understand, this is how I walk, and I have learned this by reading the Scriptures, by being faithful in prayer, by giving up all of my dreams and my ambitions and my desires. And at times, it feels very painful and very hard, and I recognize that when it begins to feel that way, I'm feeling sorry for myself, and the Holy Spirit rebukes me and says, Stop being sentimental and stop feeling sorry for yourself and get on track with me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's the only answer he wants to hear. Yes, sir. And then do what he tells me to do and read what he tells me to read and say what he tells me to speak. These are not my words that I come to you with day after day. These are the words of the Almighty God. He is saying, do this and speak this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
Now, let's go back to our story. He did not want to leave Ironton. He was being told by the Holy Spirit that he was to go to Cleveland. He says, finally, I had to give in. The reason he had to give in was because the Holy Spirit would not take no for an answer. And he could no longer pray because this thing stood before him, and he had to pay attention to it. He says, I shed many tears. I don't know if I've ever had such a hard time giving up a place as Ironton. I had overcome so many swamps and quagmires just to be there in the first place. When I could deny the call, no longer, I said, Lord, send someone to take my place and I will go. Within two days, a man and his wife came to take up the work in Ironton, and with a heavy heart I removed myself and headed for Cleveland, Ohio. I left everything in Ironton. I had no money, but neither had I any debt. The first thing to do was to get still and pray down a mission in Cleveland. And so when I arrived there, I went to the home of the only person in Cleveland that I was even slightly acquainted with. I immediately entered right into six days of fasting and praying, and on the seventh day, I found myself ordered out of the house by the family. And so I set off to search for a meeting place. Finding one, I engaged it and began cleaning out the dust and the cobwebs. I want you to notice that he engaged it without any money. Somehow the Lord moved in the heart of a property owner to give him a place to get started. A man came along and asked if I was opening up a saloon. No, it's to be a holiness mission. Well, well, he remarked as his face brightened up. When are you going to open? In two days, on Saturday night to be exact. Have you got seats? Well, they're not here, but I have them, I said, smiling to myself. Well, where are they? I have a team, and I might just load them up for you. The cost of drawing by cart is pretty high here in the city, you know. Well, I'll let you know if I need your help. Just please give me your name and address. As he was doing so, he said, Now, tell me your name and where you're staying. Well, I gave him my name and told him the address where I'd been residing. I went back to my work as he boarded a streetcar and left. I didn't know it at the time, but he went straight out to the address I had given him. The man of the house was at work, but the wife was more than willing to talk to him. So when he asked if she knew the man named Bevington, she said, well, I don't know anything about him. He came here about ten days ago and said he was acquainted with my husband. I bid him to come in until my husband came home, and we assigned him a room, wanting to be hospitable and all, 
And he went in there and began groaning something terrible. I suppose he must have been praying, but he went on and on for six days. He had not eaten a thing all week. And then he emerged on the seventh day and said he was hungry. Well, while he was eating, he told me he was going to open a mission by Saturday night. Well, I suppose, said the gentleman, that he has plenty of money. He said he had his chairs and an organ and songbooks, but he wouldn't tell me where they were. I said I would bring them for him in my wagon this afternoon. Well, if he has money, I'd like to know where he keeps it, she said. My husband got a little uneasy and suspicious about his actions, and so we pulled out all of his luggage, and we went through everything. All we could find was 29 cents in his pocketbook. But he told me he had the chairs and the whole works, said the man. Well, he sure is a funny person, she sniffed. We don't understand him at all. With that, the man left and returned to where I was busy scrubbing and cleaning this building. He approached me and offered his help again. My team, he said, is now idle. Why don't I go bring your chairs and the rest of what you need? I saw at once that I'd better explain myself, so I quoted First John five fourteen and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition we have desired of him. Well, he shook his head and he said, I don't understand you at all, preacher. You said you had those chairs. Well, I do have them according to that verse, as I prayed through on them, and I'm expecting them to be here when I open on Saturday night. But there aren't any chairs anywhere, he gestured around in frustration. How are you going to get them? By standing on the Bible. I saw now that he was genuinely puzzled, so I left him thinking and resumed my work of cleaning and looking through all the stuff on the floor. I'd put out my sign that said, Pentecostal Mission, so whoever was going to bring the chairs and whatever else God would send could locate me. Well, Satan certainly found the sign. He showed up as usual as he's always interested in any work for the Lord, he began reasoning with me. You're a stranger here, and and you're going to have to make your wants known to others. That's the way to do all kinds of missions. They go out and they solicit help. You'll never open here unless you solicit money. But I'd tried that approach once before, and I'd failed completely. So I rejected the devil's suggestion. I stood my ground in spite of the fact that I might face reproach if I opened Saturday night and there was no place for anyone to sit down. I believed the Lord knew exactly where my seats were, 
He did. And in fact, he used that very same brother where I'd been staying to acquire them. I received several fine benches and songbooks and an organ. I never went after a thing nor told anyone of the needs. I just laid it before God and let him attend to it, and he did just fine. First, he sent a brother from the Methodist Church of Ironton. He came and expressed great interest. What's opening up here? A holiness mission. A work among the poor people, I replied. Well, if you haven't any chairs, I'm sure I can furnish you with some good benches. Well, if the Lord leads you to do that, I'd be very glad to receive them, I smiled. In five hours, here came fine benches with good backs. And while they were being unloaded, a sister came along and said, Hey, what's going on here? Well, I'm expecting, I said, to open a holiness mission Saturday night. Oh, my, she said. I have an organ. I'd like to put it in here for you. And I'll even come and play it if you want me to. Well, send it down, I urged her. The next morning it arrived with forty good songbooks. She proved to be a good organist, too. It's wonderful how when we get out of the way, God will get his work done. The reason he doesn't work in some situations is that we get in his way. If we can just tuck ourselves off in the corner where God is ready to move, he'll always do his part. Now, after I had been in Cleveland for quite a while, I received a letter from Sister Allen of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Her husband, Brother Allen, was the man who had played the baby organ for me at Ironton. I can well remember his playing while someone else pumped the pedals for him. Mrs. Allen wrote, By the time you get this letter, Mr. Allen will be buried. The doctor has just left and said there would be no need for him calling again. Mr. Allen has bled over a court and is now barely alive. I can scarcely discern any life in him anymore. What I will ever do, I do not know. Well, I took the letter into my prayer room, telling the brother who was with me not to allow anyone to come into that room and bother me. I lay down on the floor on my face, and I began to intercede for the next eleven hours. I had much going on at that time in my life, so it took me some time to get still enough to hear the voice of God. After eleven hours, I saw Mr. Allen lying as a dead man, white as a sheet, and perfectly still. I thought he was surely dead. Not permitted to break the vision, I lay there for five minutes more when I saw him raise his right hand and begin to smile. Thank you. Thank you and amen, Lord. Now I will pray for his healing. I put in another nine hours of prayer to be certain whether or not the Lord wanted to heal him. Twenty hours on my face had passed. 
but I knew I was now on the right track. I had laid the foundation and could proceed intelligently. It was just a matter of time. Now I want to stop. If you've been following this radio broadcast, you remember a month ago I said we were going off the air because we did not have the finances to continue. That was not the real issue. It was not a financial issue. The real issue was that I had not established a foundation upon which to stand in order to pray for the money to come. And the reason I had not done that is that I had such a difficult time now almost three years ago, accepting that the Lord had chosen not to heal my wife. I lay on my face day after day before the Lord, praying for her healing. And the answer that I received first was, you're too big for me to heal her. That broke my heart. I continued to lay before the Lord day after day, taking care of my wife. I went off the radio because I couldn't pray for her and take care of her in the home and go with her through the surgeries and through all that was happening in her body. But I lay on the floor, and finally the Lord answered, I will heal her. The problem was, my definition of healing. I understood him to mean, I will heal her physically now. What he meant was, I'm going to take her to heaven. It's taken me several years to walk through that, and during those years, I made no more progress in standing by faith. And I didn't pray for anyone. Oh, I prayed, but not with a foundation. But as this crisis came with radio, I was forced to go back to the Lord and pray through whatever hours it would require to find out whether or not I should continue on the radio and whether or not there was a foundation upon which I could stand. Once I received that foundation of faith, I had a place then from which to begin to pray. And very quickly the funds came and paid that month of October. I still have that foundation, and it was upon that foundation that I prayed for the resources for November. I still have that foundation of faith, and it's upon that foundation of faith that I will pray for the month of December. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I'm telling you this not to talk about money. I'm doing this to talk about a foundation of faith upon which you can stand, and it may take you some hours, even days, to establish a foundation upon which you can stand before you can really begin the real intercession for what you desperately need. And I fear that some of you are so far away from Jesus that if you 
if your life or the life of your loved one was threatened, she or he would die or you would die before you could get to Jesus because you're so far away from a foundation of faith where you could begin to even pray. You see, these now-lay-me-down-to-sleep prayers don't work with Jesus. He wants us to enter into the prayer closet in a very serious way and spend the hours and days necessary to get a foundation upon which to stand. A dear brother never established that foundation regarding his job, and so now he's working at a low-paying, exhausting job that is wiping him out. We have to establish that foundation of faith or we will be in grave difficulty and danger. So now this man, Guy Bevington, has established the foundation of faith and it has taken him how many hours? Well, it took him initially 11 hours and then he saw that Mr. Allen was still alive, and then he put in another nine hours of prayer, of intercession, of waiting before God, fasting and praying, until finally he had a foundation upon which he could stand. And by his own confession, the reason it took him so long to establish that foundation was because he was so busy. He then writes, after another 46 hours, another 46 hours of prayer, continuous, I saw Mr. Allen raised up as a healed man. Then I saw him sitting in front of a baby organ, pumping and playing with all of his might. This is the man who had tuberculosis. So I said, praise the Lord, that's good enough for me. I had laid prostrate in a dark room for 56 hours. But I came out a conqueror in the name of Jesus Christ. After treating myself to a meal, I sat down to write Mr. Allen and tell him that he was a healed man and that he would be working in two weeks. I told him the exact time I saw him at the organ, a totally healed man. Shortly after that, I saw him in vision again. He got up and sat on the edge of his bed and began to rub himself. Then I saw him feel his arms and pinch himself and rise to look in the mirror, and I heard him say, Yes, this is Alan, no doubt about it, pretty poor. Pretty poor, nothing but skin and bones, but it's Alan. Before he had ever received my letter, Brother Alan and his wife wrote to me again, and in this letter detailed every act just as I had seen it from several hundred miles away. He had risen from his bed and walked out to surprise his wife on the porch where she was doing her early morning clothes washing. His poor wife almost fainted from the shock, but managed to hold on. She insisted that he go back to bed before he dropped dead there on the porch, but he refused, saying that he was hungry and wanted something to eat. 
Why, Mr. Allen, she replied, you are out of your head. You ought to know the doctor would not allow you to eat anything as it would be the death of you. The letter continued with his next words to his wife. Oh, those words brought me great joy. Well, I'm out of the doctor's care now. You must have written to Bevington, didn't didn't you? She nodded her head and and he continued, I can tell you this. He has prayed through for me, and I am healed. Give me now, please, a square meal, wife. I can eat anything now. But Mrs. Allen kept repeating that he would drop dead if he didn't get off the porch, and she would not be guilty of murder by having any part of feeding him. He kept insisting on having something to eat. My amusement grew as the letter continued to unfold the story. His neighbor was coming out from his nearby barn when Brother Allen hollered out to him. The man was thunderstruck when he saw who it was. Say, say, brother, Mr. Allen called out. I'm hungry as a bear and my wife won't give me anything to eat. Would you tell your wife to please bring me over a good breakfast, will you? The neighbor went quickly into his house and urged his wife to come out and see. And such a sight, Alan is up and out on the porch begging for something to eat. Well, she rushed outside to see if her husband was correct and was amazed to hear Mr. Alan calling to her for some food. He pounded on his chest to show his soundness. As Mrs. Alan was in a state of shock, the neighbor's wife ventured over with a soft-boiled egg. Mr. Alan swallowed it down and asked for more. Since he did not fall dead, she returned again and gave him another small offering of food until finally he had acquired a strong man's meal for himself. In two weeks, he returned to work just as I told him. This all occurred in the spring. This is what real Christianity does. This is not exceptional. This is a man who willingly walks following the Lord's commands. He's on the pilgrim journey. He expects that he will be rewarded by the living God for praying. He knows his Jesus. And he knows to get out of the way and let Jesus do what he wants to do. Would you pray for 56 hours if you knew that at the conclusion of the prayer a man would live? Would you sacrifice that time and energy to pray? Have you made a determination in your heart to get right with Jesus no matter what it takes? Even if it requires a day two days, three days, on your face before God, praying through until every sin that comes and dances before your eyes is put away and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to pray? My phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. What response do you have to this story today? I'd like to hear. 
Where are you in this journey with Jesus, on this pilgrim way? Does it touch your heart as it does mine? Are you willing to get out of the shallow water and go into the deep water with Jesus? Phone number is 877-534-0780. I'm looking for someone who wants to get right with Jesus. I'm looking for someone who's willing to turn aside from this wicked world and say, yes, I'll wait on Jesus, and I'll do whatever he says. I want to be free of my sin, of my bondage. 877-534-0780. The phones are, are wide open. I'm waiting for your call. Are you willing to go deep with Jesus? Are you willing to walk away from your sin? Are you willing to repent? I want to read for you a wonderful psalm while I'm waiting for the calls to come in. Again, I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee, and this is Pilgrim's Progress. 877 534 0780. Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty, and he fills the hungry with good things. Are you wandering in the desert? Do you need a place of refuge? I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. Sunday afternoon at 1230, we'll meet again as the church. We don't attend church, we are the church. And I welcome you to come. And be the church. He led them by a straight way, not a crooked path. He delivered them out of their distress. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he answered them. The Lord will answer you. But it's probably not going to be a five-minute prayer that he'll answer. You're probably going to have to establish a foundation of faith from which to operate. And then you're going to have to take a stand on the will of God and pray until he answers. 
Sometimes he's answered me very quickly. Sometimes it's required days or weeks before I have the answer. I'm praying right now a prayer that I've been praying and crying out to God for 20 years. He still has not answered my prayer. I've been praying for 22 years that God would send revival to Washington, D.C. That he would send his Holy Spirit to convict of sin. That he would lift up a standard of righteousness in this city. And instead of my prayer being answered, the darkness has increased. The wickedness of the church has only increased. The compromise with the world has only increased. Men and women love the way of darkness and love the life of ease and comfort. But I have a foundation of faith from which I'm praying. And I will not let God go. I will not let God go regarding this. I am asking for the breaking out of the Holy Spirit in this city with conviction of sin, with heartbroken weeping. I can hear it in my spirit. I know that he's going to bring it. And so I continue to lay before the Lord and lift up this petition before his throne and praise him for the answer. For I know the day will come when the house will be filled with men and women weeping over their sin and seeking after Jesus. I'm not looking for a foolish revival of gold dust falling from the ceiling and shaking and all the rest of the manifestations. John Wesley said that shaking was a manifestation of a man or woman who was fighting off the Holy Spirit. It was not a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. It was a sign that they were resisting the Holy Spirit. No, I don't want foolishness, wildfire. I don't want a laughing revival. I want a weeping revival where men and women, boys and girls, come and weep over their sin. I have a hold of God for this. I'm not going to let go. I'm standing by faith that this is going to happen, not just at the National Prayer Chapel, but across this city. I've been praying for 22 years that God would bring judgment on America, judgment that would cause America to turn and repent of its wickedness of its love of luxury, of its love of the television wickedness and darkness, of the entertainment, that finally men and women, boys and girls, would say, I must have Jesus. I must have Jesus. And pay whatever price is necessary to repent and get clean and find the fullness of Jesus. I don't want to pretend revival. I want the real deal. 
I want the presence of Jesus to come down on this city that men and women everywhere would fall to their knees in the shopping malls, fall to their knees in the House of Representatives, in the Senate, in the White House, that men and women would fall to their face before God and begin to repent and cry aloud. And I'm saying, Lord, bring whatever judgment is necessary to cause this to happen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for each person listening because they're the beginning of the revival that you've promised me. Lord, they're afraid to call and talk about it, and I understand that this is not an easy subject. But I pray, Lord, that as they try to begin to really pray, you'll cause their sins to dance before their eyes and cause them to break and weep and turn aside from their wickedness. I pray you'll take the love of wickedness out of their hearts, the love of ease, the love of being lukewarm. Lord, I pray you'll set them on fire with your word and your gospel. Lord, I stand by faith. Revival's coming. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Presence of His glory with great joy, with.